Hey, church, how are you? Good. Well, my name's Luke. Uh, I get the privilege of being the Greece campus pastor. Um, I can't see you. Are they live? Greece campus. Love you guys. Um, so we're starting this new series called Love Lessons. And um, little disclaimer, it's going to be a little PG-13 in here for a couple weeks. We might, we might bridge to like the NC-17 for the benefit of the married folks. Um, what I will say is that if you're single, um, we have a lot to say. Well, I, I have a lot to say, but the scriptures have better things to say about being single. And in this series, I believe that there's something for all of us. Every stage of relationship, whether it's marked with success or failure, uh, Scripture has a lot to say. Now, although we'll be in the PG-13, NC-17 kind of realm the next couple weeks, we, we understand that culture defines relationship uh, in a certain way. And neither will we be conservative and legalistic and religious about our stance but we will be scripturally accurate in the next few weeks and we're going to tell it like it is as defined in scripture for singles um we aren't doing this series to torture you we're not doing this series to point out what you don't have yet nor is the idea to make you feel inferior or that you're missing something as a matter of fact, in the scriptures, Paul, the Apostle Paul, says it's actually a benefit to being single because you can be of much more singular mind in building the kingdom of God. It's, it's a gift in the season that you have it. This series is going to help you frame relationships now and in the future. Uh, for dating and engaged, this series is going to help you prioritize what God prioritizes in relationships, how you should see relationships from the inside out and not the outside in. Married, uh, we're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about conflict and how oftentimes conflict follows sex and oftentimes conflict makes it so you don't have sex. And if you have really healthy conflict, usually sex follows that. Some tips. Uh, we're going to talk about these things. We're going to talk about uh, deepening intimacy in uh, your marriage relationship. And what does that look like? Because God did not intend uh, for the peak of your marriage relationship to be your wedding night. And then it just kind of falls and falters as the complexities of life happen and budgets and mortgages and trying to keep like small humans alive. And God did not intend for our relationships just to kind of flatten out in the areas of passion and intimacy, friendship. God has a lot to say about the way that he designed it. I will say this over the next few weeks. If you are in a relationship that is abusive or dangerous, in no way are we saying you just need to be patient and love the person. If you're in an abusive situation, relationship, a dangerous situation and relationship, you need to come uh, over to the cross after service, Greece campus, right to the front. You need to confess to someone on our prayer team so that we can walk you out of that, so that you can be safe and that you can be well because God loves you. And he did not design you 
to be in a relationship where you are pushed down, made small, and where you are harmed. Let me make that as a disclaimer. We're going to be talking through the Song of Solomon. It's an Old Testament book. It was written by a really wise, really rich guy, really successful, about the year 970 B.C. And um, he was the wisest, richest man that has ever lived. And by comparison, even considering inflation, he's the richest man who will ever live. He was a poet. Turns out he was quite the romantic. He, uh, he authored over a thousand songs. He was infatuated with love and what it kindles and what it creates and what it can create and, by contrast, what it can destroy. And in the book Song of Solomon, it's, it's his one song, his number one hit, his bestseller is Song of Solomon, and we're going to be digging into that. It's a, a love story. It can be used and seen as an allegory between uh, God and his creation, his children, us. But similarly, it can also be seen as a very true, poetic, beautiful love story between the king and the peasant who would become his love and his wife. And we're going to learn a lot through it over the next couple weeks. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we live in a culture and a system where culture seems to twist and distract and distort God's intention for just about everything. And to give you a, a little bit of a sneak peek at what our young adults, our, our singles, our high schoolers, and God help us, someday our middle schoolers and elementary school kids someday are going to be impacted by what does it look like to find a relationship. I want you to turn your attention to the screens of all of our locations. Take a look at this. I've probably used every dating app. It became so easy, why wouldn't you do it? There you go, there's the match. They were like, oh, no fat no women, no blacks, black. only 18 to 25. A lot of the companies are started by boys. They're not men, they're boys. That's why it is the way it is. All the guys, they're looking for that night hookups. Most of your Tinder dates get physical real quick. I'm so caught up in how I look, and then I'm also caught up in how they look. It's hard work, that self-presentation. Social media is enlightening a lot of young women to realize I don't have to be treated like a sex object for the rest of my life. I do remember when you used to call people on the phone. I think if you called someone these days, you'd probably get labeled a psychopath. God help us. Man. So... The Book of Song of Solomon. Uh, Solomon actually was the illegitimate son of King David. King David fell into sin, you've heard the story before perhaps, and, and slept with a married woman named Bathsheba. She was not his wife, uh, but her husband was out to battle. David took advantage of it. He was overcome by the lust of the flesh. Uh, he uh, slept with this woman, ended up murdering her husband, and Solomon was born. Now, interesting note. Uh, that our failures in the past in relationship, our sexual failures, God can still redeem. God can still use. Because Solomon, the author of wisdom literature, the wisest, richest man who ever lived, ever will live, came out of an illegitimate birth. So regardless of your background, God desires his grace to put us in a position where we can build the kingdom and we can help people. Um, now, in the book, of, uh, the, the Song of Solomon, it's, uh, 
It's quite poetic, and there are different voices that are used uh, throughout the book. The first that we're going to read is opening the book of Solomon and starting off in verse 2. This is the woman talking. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, exclamation point. For your love is better than wine. None of that, like, cheap box wine. My grandmother used to buy this wine that was, like, in a, a gallon glass jug with a handle. Uh, it was reserved as a doorstop. And every once in a while when she would make red sauce, she'd go out to the garage and grab it and then sprinkle it in. Not that kind of wine. This is good wine. This is something that I, you need to notice about this woman. She's aggressive. She, she is the initiator. Isn't that interesting that the woman in the story is confident enough in who she is that she initiates. She knows what she wants. Verse 2, your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Now, contextually, we lose a lot in our culture to this, but oil was a precious commodity. In addition, oil was used to create perfumes and fragrances. A person's name was their most important possession. It was the thing that was guarded over the most because it encompassed their reputation, their character, their integrity, um, their history, and the promise for their future. So a person's name would be uh, so important that it would precede them as they would go. If you heard that so-and-so was coming, you knew what they were going to bring with them. So what the woman is saying is your reputation, your character, King Solomon, your integrity, your might, your pa who you are precedes you like an oil, like a fragrance. And I want it. This girl is aggressive. I, I don't know why the guys aren't more excited about this. This is, there it is. And then it culminates in this verse 4. Draw me after you, let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. Cue Marvin Gaye. It, this girl, he, she is going for, she knows what she wants, but she knows why she wants it. She wants it because his character holds him in an esteemed place. His reputation, his integrity, his name. And she, she's an interesting initiator. Now, most likely, uh, what scholars believe is that this woman was tending to King Solomon's vineyards. She was a worker of the fields would see him off in the distance riding his chariot. So there's this fantasization that's happening with this woman who's believing and desiring the king, not for his good looks, but for his integrity and for his character. Now, this is like the, the culmination of their relationship. See, the book isn't written in order. It's not sequential. It's not chronological. It opens up with here's the picture of what we want. Here's what it looks like. Here's the character we should be pursuing. And here's what it results in. But that's not where it started. If we flash back a little bit, starting in verse 5, this is the woman talking again. I'm very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Like the tents of Kedar, 
like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. What's interesting about this is she identifies herself with what she looks like. Now, she wasn't dark in a natural way. Her complexion was not dark because her skin color and pigment was dark. Her skin was dark because she was out working the fields. She was weathered. She was tanned. Now, in current cultural context, isn't that what everybody's trying to portray? I mean, I mean, look at the tanning industry. And if you don't like UV lights, you can get some spray. You can get some spray on tan. You can get the filters over the images. You can look tan. You pick up any magazine, and it's tan. Uh, that is what... But here... The women who were pursued, the women who were chased after, the women who were provided for, the women who would find themselves um, as wives and as taken care of, they were inside and they were pale. Pale back then was what tan is now. So what this woman is saying is, I I'm, I'm really in. Although I am drawn to King Solomon, I love his integrity and his character. It's like oil. I want him to kiss me with his mouth. I, I want to take him to bed. I, I want that. She's saying, I'm, but I'm, 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 I'm dark in complexion. I'm weathered. Like, I'm not by the standard beautiful. I'm, I'm super insecure. Don't, don't even look at me. Because if you look at me, you're going to be repulsed. If you look at me, I'm not going to measure up. If you really found out who I really am and what I've really been up to, you'll run. That's what she's saying. Now, Western culture says that physical is the number one. It's the most important quality. We should start our singleness or our dating or even choosing who we're going to get engaged to by, by the outward appearance, that attraction is the most important. Matter of fact, there's this new app out. Uh, it's not really new anymore, but Tinder, right? So t the idea with Tinder, I think there's a, uh, a picture to put up. What Tinder does is you, you sign up with this profile, you get one picture to choose, and then you get a little one-liner, like, I like walking on the beach. <laughs> I like puppies. Wh whatever it is. Uh, no, I'm a construction guy or wh whatever. I like working out. Uh, you get one picture, one little one line, and then in your social feed, um, you, you, these pictures pop up. And I, you swipe them one way, and you're like, nah. You swipe them the other way, and it, like, saves it to a I'm interested kind of column. Now, if that same person sees your picture and your little one-liner, and they swipe the correct way, bing, we've got a match. And then, with that person... You can start to, like, text message and figure out when you're going to meet up and hook up. 85% of the users on Tinder are between 18 and 35. And as of right now, Tinder just surpassed 1 billion matches. I wonder the percentage of Tinder matches that ended in a one-night stand broken relationships, pieces of one another lingering in one another into additional brokenness. That's what it looks like to look from the outside in instead of the inside out. If Solomon had been judging from the outside appearance, would Solomon just have swiped right past who would become the love of his life? 
that with all the riches and everything he could have had, if he was looking from the outside in, he probably would have swiped right away what by, by the culture said was not attractive. But what does Solomon do? What does Solomon do when she reveals her insecurity? What does Solomon do when he gets to peek behind the curtain and see where this woman is worried and where she feels small and she feels disqualified and she feels like she's not going to measure up? This is what he says in verse 9. He says, I compare you, my love, to a horse. Now, I've never used that on my wife. I never will. I grew up with horses. I think they're beautiful. But I will never, ever call my wife a horse. But the cultural context of this is interesting because the word mare denotes a one-of-a-kind, reserved and set aside, pure and blameless, white horse that would be destined to pull only one person, the king, the pharaoh. I love that what God is showing us in this story and what Solomon is telling us is when an insecurity is revealed, we get the opportunity to speak life over that insecurity and say, listen, I know that you're, you are of dark complexion. I know that you may be weathered. I know that you're in this common place. I know that there's a lot of life on you. But what I see in you is I see that you are destined for a king. I see that you were reserved for me. I see that you are worthy of being noticed, worthy of being called out, worthy of being seen. That's what Solomon's saying. Say, I'm going to speak to your insecurity. I'm going to speak life over it. The relationship between this woman and this man is heating up. Solomon is drawn to character. The question is, do do your words towards the person that you're in relationship with, do they silence insecurity or do they enhance it? Are you making snide, sly, small comments that kind of dig, like underneath the surface of not okay? Are they accentuating insecurity? Are they validating where your spouse or that person that you're dating is already insecure? Or, or does your word, do your words silence insecurity? Solomon's words silenced insecurity. He was drawn to her character, not a tender booty call. But she didn't want that either. You know, we heard uh, in, in Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 2, she's like, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. Give me your oil. Let's go to bed. But, but she doesn't want to be treated like some... Well, verse 7, verse 7. Uh, why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flock of your companions? Who, see, back then, uh, the shepherds uh, would wait for the veiled women from the city to come out and entertain them. A veiled companion at that time and day was a prostitute. 
What this woman is saying is, although I have insecurity, although I've been working in the field, although I've been, I've been, the other passage of scripture says, I've been neglecting my own vineyard so that I can support and serve someone else and so that I can fend for my family, so that I can provide for those that are not as fortunate as me. Even though I've been doing all that, you better believe I am more than a booty call. That's what she says. I'm not going to be counted among your prostitutes. She's got dignity. She's got character, and Solomon is attracted to it. Now, we can see in this scripture that sex is not the goal. It's not the prize. It's not the end-all, be-all of what Solomon wanted, nor her. See, sex is meant to be a beautiful expression of intimacy in the covenant of marriage. Why? Because God's restrictive and prude. No. No, not because God doesn't want you to have any fun, but because God knows that the power of sexual intimacy can only be contained, can only be held safe, can only be celebrated in the covenant of marriage. It's far too powerful outside of that. It leaves us with brokenness and regret and shame. I think about it like this. Uh, uh, Most nuclear power plants are surrounded by a concrete wall that are at least 12 feet thick to protect from radiation. You can power a city. Or you can take that same radioactive material and you can put it in a bomb and you can destroy a city. Sexual intimacy outside of the covenant of marriage erodes our soul. But if you want what everybody else has, then just do what everybody else does. Divorce rates are climbing. Every decade, it's higher. There's no difference in Christianity, by the way. People who confess to go to church and be evangelical Christian, believe in God, the divorce statistics are no different. But if you want what everybody else has, then just do what everybody else does. Say, ah, it doesn't apply to me. I'm strong enough. We love each other. See, you and I, we're we're more than just mammals that need to follow some biological ingrained program to procreate. We're so much more. Body, mind, and soul. And your soul takes hits all day, every day. And some things are very, very difficult to heal. We're more than mammals. Uh, P.S., you know, you know the, uh, another mammal is a wolf. Uh, and as, as a pastor at the church, the, the scripture talks about the wolf, right? Scripture talks about how the wolf hides himself or herself in, in sheep's clothing and acts like a sheep and talks like a sheep and raises their hands in worship and brings their Bible and talks about prayer and uses spiritual language only to prey on people. And I want to tell you and borrow some of our senior pastor's words, if you're a wolf in this place, we will tase you. Listen, the pastoral staff, the small group leaders, our serve team leaders, even our security, we are sober and vigilant that this would be a safe place. It'd be spiritually safe. It'd be physically safe. And if you're here to pray on somebody, I will tase you. It is not okay. It is not okay to use the name of Jesus to get in somebody's pants. 
It is not okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to get more fired up. Just, just wait a minute. It's just a second. Grease Campus, hope you're with me. Dating is laying a foundation for your marriage. If you don't build it right, I'm telling you, life does not get simpler. It doesn't get easier. Uh, if you're laying a foundation in dating and you're laying it right, then it can handle the complexities of something called a mortgage. Uh, and then these, like, small humans start running around that you have to keep alive. And, and all of a sudden, what used to be, let's go on our annual fall foliage trip down to Lechworth, just me and you, babe. Let's get our, our pumpkin spice lattes and let's high five the whole way down to our favorite, favorite soundtrack. It's going to be so wonderful. Hashtag best life ever. Then you get kids and, and, and bills and then the storms of life happen. And all of a sudden, if your marriage is not built on the right foundation, I'm telling you, one little gust of wind can blow you right over. It's like, what just happened? If you're dating in this place, you seek to date, you're single, you better be looking from the inside out, not the outside in. It's a house of straw that you're building. Now, you... I think there's two, uh, two personalities maybe in this room. Whether you're single, you're dating, engaged, married. Uh, uh, number one, one of you, especially in a marriage, is the mechanic. Now, the mechanic uh, is always compiling a list of things to fix in the other person. If you're dating, you're like, well, I think if I could fix that and I could get them to read that book, uh, and then if I just asked my friends to pray about it, um, and then, you know, he'd, like, stop choosing the boys over me, uh, and maybe he'd start, like, brushing his teeth more than once a day. And, like, if I can fix those things, like, I think this marriage can work out. You're, the mechan you're just trying to, like, fix stuff in the person so that they would be worthy. It's outside in thinking. There's an incredible quote. By Thomas Merton, he says this, The beginning of love is the will to let those we love be perfectly themselves. The resolution not to twist them to fit our own image. If in loving them we do not love what they are, but only their potential likeness to ourselves, then we do not love them. We only love the reflection of ourselves we find in them. Are you a fixer? Are you a mechanic? Do you default to this place when you're feeling insecure? Maybe, maybe, maybe to cut the other person down and then try to figure out how to fix them. If you're dating or you're single, you're just trying to figure out, well, that's annoying and that's annoying and that's annoying and that's annoying. So if I could just fix those things, I'm sure we'll be fine. I'm sure we'll be fine. I, I know that he's demeaning to women, but I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure we could fix that. I'm sure he'll love me enough. I, I know he kind of ignores me a little bit, or she talks down to me like I'm, I'm some adolescent. Uh, I know that she cuts me down with my, her words and makes fun of me, but I'm sure that'll be okay once I put a ring on it. No, that's stupid. Don't do that. It's in, that's outside in thinking. Solomon encouraged us to look for the character. The second type of person, you're, a, you're an angler, right? Any fishermen, fisherwomen? Angler, angler. It was salmon season recently. Uh, maybe, maybe you're a maybe you're a fisherman or you're a fisherwoman. I don't know. Is that a word, fisherwoman? Sure, it's 2019. Angler. That's why I used angler. Um, and you're you're constantly asking yourself. Uh, maybe you're single, dating. Um, and and I do want to be sensitive to the fact that 
that there are, are people in uh, our church family that are divorced, painfully divorced, sometimes multiple times. And I want to be sensitive to that and respectful because the pain is real. But there's a lot of people that are like, why is it always these guys that are attracted to me? Why every time it's like the same type just knocking on my door every time? Why is it that it's always the like needy girl? Like, oh my gosh, like all the emotion, I have to carry it. Like, where are her friends? Oh yeah, they've all run away because she's just drama. Like, why, why is it all the time I always attract these guys that want to swoop in and save me and then they demean me? Why is that? That I always attract these guys that are abusive and speak down to me. Why is it? Well, I mean, I, I think if, you, if you're catching the same kind of fish, maybe you should change the bait. With your cute little selfie on Instagram, and it's like slightly down the blouse, but it's not, it's not that bad, and the filter's over it, and here's the guy in the gym with the selfie. I just want to punt those guys when I see them in the gym. Like, what are you here for? <laughs> if, if you want to change the kind of fish that you're catching, you have got to change your bait. And, and, and let me just help you, especially, especially the girls in the room and at Greece campus. The pond that you're playing in, it's filled with boys. Boys. Adolescent, immature, living in their mama's basement, no, can't hold a job, going from this to that, girl to girl, texting multiple all the time, Takes them 10 minutes to send all the good morning texts and 10 minutes to send all the good night texts. Get out of that pond. It's full of boys. It's full of boys. Because kings and queens don't live in ponds. Kings and queens don't live in ponds. Solomon didn't live in a pond. And this girl, who he became attracted to because of her character, because she showed the signs of a life that is being lived well, not for herself. Building the kingdom of God by building people. Weathered. Life. Doing the thing. Getting up. Going to work. Every day. Doing what she has to. That's what attracted Solomon to this woman. And what attracted the woman to Solomon was not his outside appearance but it was his inward character. It was his reputation that preceded him. It was like a beautiful incense that would fill a room. Inside out, not outside in. Proverbs 31, verse 10, a wife of noble character, who can find? She's worth more than rubies. That word character, it's a Hebrew word. It's karazo. Can you say karazo? Come on, Greece campus, say carazo. Very good, very good. Now, what carazo means is it doesn't mean that my character changes like the wind. And I'm just kind of a chameleon depending on which situation I'm in. After work, I'm kind of that person at happy hour. And at church, I'm at this person. And when I'm with my husband, I'm this person. And when I'm with that guy at work, then I'm this person. This is character. And what this means is it means it's etched in stone. 
This means that that guy doesn't cheat on his taxes at work. He doesn't cheat on his taxes at home. He's generous with his finance. He's generous towards you. He's not selfish and self-absorbed. But his character is unchanging. What scripture is saying is if you find someone not with beauty according to the magazine cover, but if you find character, that is worth more than all the riches. Solomon knew what he was looking at when he saw the beauty marks of this girl. What are the beauty marks of character that you're looking for? Because everybody's got a list. And if you're super type A, you probably have it written down, like the type you're looking for and, you know, the salary range and the height. and We all have this list, right? Or this list that we want our spouse or those that we're dating to to live up to, always measured against the list. What are the beauty marks of character that should be on your list? Now, here's a disclaimer and a warning before we finish up. At the end of the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 4, the woman is talking to a bunch of her friends, and she says, and she gives them a warning. She says, do not awaken love before it's time. You've heard that before, maybe. Do not awaken love before it's time. What she's cautioning her friends is once love is awoken inside of you, it's really hard to reel it back. Once that emotion is let out, once that fantasy goes, once the future is forecasted and you start naming your kids, it is really hard to reel that thing back in. And this virtuous woman, this woman of character in Song of Solomon is cautioning her friends and saying, once you love is awakened in you, Oh, man, it's hard to get it back. So how are you? You've heard that. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. You're in that small group. Guard your heart. I'm at certain. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Oh, he's in your cubicle. You better guard your heart. Who are you texting? Guard your heart. Guard your heart. We should guard our heart. But how many of us are guilty of awakening love in somebody else? The scripture applies to those who would awaken love in somebody else, who would do the the texting and a little bit of flirtatious thing here and there and entertain that thought and spend a little bit of extra time near that person and desire just to be close to them in proximity. And and I was talking to a guy the other day, uh, last weekend, and he goes, he goes, uh, Pastor Luke, like, I, I think he's in his early 20s, uh, Pastor Luke, like, I got all these girls like around me. I'm like, what's the problem? <laughs> He's like, well, I think, I think they think like the, the friendships are more than friendships. I'm like, well, tell me, how, how do you communicate with them? He's like, well, you know, like uh, maybe a couple texts a day, which you know is more than that. I like times it by 10. That's like a very safe rule. And, and, and I go, so, so do you text all three of them at some point before noon? He's like, yeah, usually. Do you, do you text all three of them at some point between 8 p.m. and 12 p.m. at night? Well, yeah, usually. I'm like, okay. Think about it like this. Every text message conversation is you and that person alone together in a room. He's like, oh. Oh. I can see now why they think it's more than it is. 
And then I hit him and prayed for him. And like, this is your fault. You're awakening love before it's time. You are in sin. You are guilty. You're awakening love before it's time. Have you ever heard it say, uh, have it said, uh, the eyes are the window to the heart, the soul? Eyes are the window to the soul. It's actually out of uh, Matthew chapter 6 in the New Testament, verses 22 and 23. The eyes are the window into the soul. Because I think for married couples, uh, we have an interesting challenge. The further life goes down the track, the more likely the love that was once awoken in us towards one another falls back asleep. It's still there. It's kind of sleeping. When things get rough, it snores and reminds us that it's asleep and not there. You know, it's not active. So how do we, how do we reawaken love? Eyes are a window into the soul. There was this social experiment that was done. And they took couples and relationships of all kinds. And they did a little bit of an experiment, this research company. I actually want you to turn your attention to the screens and, and see how interesting it is what they did. Okay, so come on in. So how would you describe your relationship? My mama is my best friend. You're like brother and sister without being from the same womb. Um, it's good to finally be together after being apart for a year, which has been a struggle. Yeah. When we're alone, we're always all over each other, which is nice, a little teddy bear. <laughs> okay, so if you guys could stand facing one another, we're going to try an exercise, and you're going to look into each other's eyes for four minutes. Four? Oh, my gosh. I don't think I can do that. I'm about Are to Are we allowed to blink? Okay, that's time. Oh, that was longer and shorter than I thought it was gonna be. How did that feel? I felt open and awake and connected. Recently we've been so busy and um, focusing on our careers and I just had time to be reminded of all the little reasons why I love you and why I fell in love with you. Were you thinking about anything during the four minutes? Yeah, it was just memories that just brought yeah. me back to like, the times we've had together and how much fun we've had together and how you've always been there for me and just always looked out for me and taken care of me and it, it, it was just really nice. I was just thinking that, I mean, how much I really look like you and how much you really look like Nana. And I was thinking, <laughs> don't cry. No, 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 no. I'm no. sorry. 
it was weird. Like, I'm looking at you, I'm looking at me, I'm looking at her. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope I didn't mess this up. I'm so sorry. <sighs> you guys feel like the exercise changed something for you? It did make me realize, wow, I've got an amazing man. And I don't take it for granted, because I don't think there are many like him. Did anything come up that you wanted to say to each other? Um, you make me feel really calm and cared for, and you're such a good person, and I'm so lucky. I love you, sweetheart. <laughs> I really think you're the most incredible woman I've ever met. I actually don't even have words to describe you. But I'm glad I'm yours. I love you. I'm fine. He makes me so happy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> She's so beautiful. So good. She only says that because I look like her. So it's one and of those she has things. A big heart. She's a good daughter. Do not awaken love before it's time. But if it is time, is it because you're attracted to the person's depth and character? Or is it a swipe right relationship from the outside in? Solomon in his immense wisdom shares his number one hit song, Song of Solomon, saying, if I, could, if I could share any song about love with the world for all of time, it would be this one. That real love, God's love, is from the inside out. So here's my challenge. For the married and engaged. I want you to stare at each other for four minutes this week. I want you to challenge yourselves. Without saying anything. And I want you, I want you to awaken the love again. I want you to wake that back up. In those four minutes, you're going to be reminded of what you love about that person. You're going to be reminded the way they care for your children, the way they provide, the way they make you feel safe, the way they make you feel strong, the way they make you feel beautiful. And at the end of the four minutes, I want you to just share one thing. I want you to speak life to their insecurity. That's for the married and for the engaged. Challenge you to do that. For the dating, I want you to just talk about this message. Just one thing from this message. Just begin to have some conversation. Don't stare at each other for four minutes. You're going to awaken love before it's time. Don't do it. Stop texting so much. Just get in the room with other people. I just want you to talk about this. 
Start the conversation inside out love. For the singles in this room, I started off by saying I don't, our intention is not to make you feel like you're missing out, that you've been overlooked. Everybody else seems to be getting engaged and married, and dating, except for you. You get all the invites, but rock up to the wedding alone again. Our intention is not to, to shame you, make you feel inadequate. Because even when you don't see it, God's working. Even when you don't feel like it, God's working. In your marriage, you think it's cold and dead. There is no pulse on that love. It hasn't just fallen asleep, it's dead. Even when you don't see it, God's working. Even when you don't feel like it, you look at the other person and you want to look the other way, God's working. You're dating and it looks like you've attracted the same kind of fish again. Even when you don't see it, God's working. Even when you don't feel it, God's working. He's working on your behalf. Scripture says if you seek him first, his kingdom, his righteousness, God's going to bring all of these things back together. That we would not be mechanics, that we would not just be fishermen, that we would not be wolves, but we would believe that God has destined for us a relationship in his time with the right person. When you don't see it, God's working. When you don't feel it, God's working. I want to invite you to all of our campuses. Why don't you stand to your feet? And we're going to sing this, and we're going to sing it together. Because I know that hope needs to be rekindled in this room and at the Greece campus. Hope in your marriage. Hope in your singleness. Hope in your engagement. Hope in that dating relationship that you don't see it. God's working. He's working in you. He's working in them. He works all things together for the good of those who love him. He's working in your marriage. He's working in your marriage. He's rekindling your heart to your spouse. He's giving you hope again that he has someone in mind for you. He's working. He's working. He's working. Come on, would you sing this out with us? Even when. Even when. you to bow your heads and close your eyes, both of our locations, while we're standing. I want to pray for those in this room at the Greece campus that your relationships, you feel like they've just been marked with failure and you feel like you're the one. feel disqualified, you feel used, you feel like it's too late, there's been too much time that's gone, too many failures, that your win-loss record is obviously against you, and you need hope again. 
You need hope to believe that you're desirable. You need hope to believe again that you are worthy. You need hope again to believe that you can provide. You need hope again to believe that there is someone out there for you someday in God's time that is perfect for you. You need that hope again with every head bowed, with every eye closed. Would you just lift your hand? Come on, in faith, would you just lift your hand? Just lift your hand and begin to believe. Begin to believe that God wants to restore all hope in your life. He wants to restore that marriage. He wants to restore that singleness. He wants to restore that purity. He wants to restore that relationship. He wants to restore that righteousness. He robes you with righteousness. He strengthens your hands for the road ahead. Come on, if you're in this room, Greece Campus, you have your hands lifted. Let's join those with the hands lifted. And when I don't see it, God, I know you're working. Come on, here we go. and the finisher of our lives. You are the great storyteller. God, you're not writing a story that would shame us, but you're writing a story that would glorify you and give us joy. So I thank that and I speak peace over every single heart right now in Jesus' name. God, I speak peace over the restless heart, the heart that is tired of waiting. I speak peace and patience in Jesus' name. Declare that you're working. You're working in their lives. You're working in their hearts. God, I pray for those that are dating and engaged. God, that they would continue to build a foundation on you, Jesus. That they would not be building a straw house that is based solely on outside appearance. But God, you look to the heart. So I pray that they would look to their own in Jesus' name. God, I speak life over every single marriage that seems to have fallen asleep. Every single marriage that just seems like dead and dry bones. I prophesy flesh in Jesus' name. I prophesy life in Jesus' name. You promised that you would turn the hearts of the husbands back to the wives. That you'd turn the hearts of the wives back to the husbands. So we speak life right now in Jesus' name. God, that in the spirit you are rekindling every single marriage. God, that you are speaking life over it. Lord, that when they look at one another for those four minutes, that they would not despise and disdain one another, but I thank you that you would rekindle that you would reawaken the love that is inside them, that they would see the character, they'd see the depth, they'd see the love, they'd see the intimacy. God, even when we can't see it, you're working. Even when we can't feel it, you're working. In Jesus' name.